welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a piano player from San Francisco, California, Art Hirohawa. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today we have Art Hirahara on with us. Did I say it right? Please that's say correct. It. Okay, that's good. Yes. <laughs> Could you please introduce yourself to the people, please, sir? Uh, my name is Art Hirahara. I'm a pianist, I'm originally from California, moved to New York in 2002, and I've been playing jazz and other kinds of music ever since I moved here. Okay. And what you you said you came to New York and what year roughly, sir? R- roughly 2002, end of 2002. Okay. Hopefully you've been enjoying it for the most part. Are you currently in New York right now? Currently in New York. And if I didn't completely enjoy it, I probably would not still be here. So I love New York and I love being here. So, and I'm not planning on leaving. Okay. That's great. Uh, Mask, what is the, what led you to go from... California to New York? Well, I was working as a jazz musician in San Francisco after, well, first I went to college and then I went to grad school. And then when I finished, uh, where did you go to college and grad school? I'm sorry. I went to college at Oberlin college in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And actually I was not a jazz major there. I was actually electronic and computer music major there. And also a um, American government major. And then uh, after I finished college. I I wanted to continue my studies in jazz, so I went to California Institute of the Arts in Los Angeles, and I got a degree in um, jazz piano. But after that, um, I stayed in Los Angeles for about a year, and then I decided to move back to the area where my family was from, and then I proceeded to get into the jazz scene there. And after a while, I started to feel the calling of of moving to New York City because obviously New York City is the jazz capital of the world. So in 2002, I made my way over and I've been here since. Okay. So how did your parents take it when you decided to go focus on piano more after undergrad? Uh, Well, initially they were probably a bit trepidatious, but... uh, Nice vivid word. (laughs) but, But over time, they actually saw that I was... I was actually successful in making a living doing it. So, and they realized that's what was making me happy. So eventually they sort of accepted it and, uh, and eventually supported it. So okay, it was a long process, but uh, I think it was worth it. And for young musicians who really believe that they're going to be, that they need to be a musician and they know they need to be a musician. I would, I would sort of give them the advice that, um, if you know, if you really know in your heart that that's what you want to do, then you should you should stick with it. Understood. Okay, so from LA to San Francisco, give me the difference between those two music scenes because I really don't know much about San Francisco scene. Well, I would say, well, at the time that I was there in Los Angeles, I was just finishing school, so I didn't fully get into the scene there. But my impression from living there and trying to sort of break in to the scene was that Los Angeles is a very spread out city. So it's, you have to drive everywhere. And 
because of that, I think there's some limitations as to how, well, I would put it this way. Everybody uh, plays within their own circles and all those circles um, overlap to a certain extent, but because LA is so spread out, some, sometimes those circles don't even touch each other and they don't even, and so, so people don't actually, networks don't cross over. So that was my impression from living there. So when I moved to San Francisco, which is a much smaller, physically a much smaller city, um, and the scene is much tight, more tightly integrated, um, that was the biggest difference that I felt was that uh, in New York, in, sorry, in San Francisco, it was much easier to meet people and to, to sort of get your reputation um, as a musician with other musicians out there. And I guess I would say that it was sort of a good stepping stone to move to New York in that it sort of prepared me uh, and trained me in a in how to navigate uh, meeting people and playing with people and overlapping networks, which sort of prepared me to how, how I would approach uh, moving to New York. So L.A. is more clicky than New York. I wouldn't necessarily put it that way. I would say that, like I said, the, the physical limitations of Los Angeles being so spread out and having to drive everywhere makes it so that these networks don't overlap as much. I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's a clicky and a conscious way. It's just that the physical nature of Los Angeles makes it that way. Okay, that's understandable. So your first impression of New York as an artist did you at least know somebody here at least or no? I, I didn't. I knew a handful of people who had been in the Bay Area before who I had played with who had moved here and were doing well. But honestly, when I came here, I didn't. I, I just basically reached out to them and said hello, not really asking them to help me meet people. It was basically by going to a jam session that I started my whole, I guess I could trace almost everybody I know in New York back to that first jam session and how all of those networks started to expand from that one point. And where was the first place you went to? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was at Cleopatra's Needle, okay. which no longer exists. Yeah, but, one of the few that don't yeah. exist anymore. Yeah, Jazz Standard gone. I used to love going there. And right. we might be losing Birdland soon. Right. Well, hopefully not. Uh, and the Jazz Standard, yes, the current physical location is gone, but I was also reading that their intention is to eventually open when they, if they can reopen the restaurant in another place, they, they hope to reopen the club too. It's just that they weren't able to negotiate with their uh, landlord. So they had to close, but hopefully Birdland is going to stay open too. I mean, they recently started a crowdfunding campaign and it seems to be going quite well. So. Yes, that's true. Okay. So how did you end up with your record label? Oh, let's see. Um, it was because I was playing on uh, the recording of uh, a saxophonist named Sean Nell, who is who was one of their artists, that they heard about me. And then there was another um, saxophonist, Sarah Manning, who was doing a recording project, and they had they were going to release her record, and so they sort of got to know me through those those two people. And then Mark Free, the producer, said to me, "Well." we really like how you sound. We really like uh, how you approach music. So we would like to release your record. And so that was the beginning of the relationship. Okay. Well, I first heard about you from your Central Line album. Okay, nice. Yes. And 
the main reason I picked it up was because your bass player, Linda, good choice on that. And you. your current release, Bounce Point. Yes. Everything I expected it to be. Nice, man. Thank you. What motivated you to write it that style, to keep that same style? Uh, that style meaning, how do you mean? In other words, this is exactly what I think of when I think of a late night jam session, jazz session. <laughs> okay. Quartet, quartet, that sound. I guess uh, I've always liked the small ensemble format um, because I really, the first thing that attracted me to jazz was actually the conversational aspect of it and how intimate it was. And so I've always been most comfortable in small ensemble uh, formats from trio up to quintet. So, um, and I guess that's, that's sort of been posit to positone has been able to support me because uh, I've been mostly working with these kinds of small ensembles. So um, maybe in the future I would expand to something larger, but uh, that's always been sort of my aesthetic. Okay. And what's your favorite track on that album? Which, which album? On Bounce Point. Um, I would probably have to say Path of the Gods. Um, uh, because, uh, well, I, I, I went to Italy with my wife <clears throat> a couple of years ago and we, we visited this, this, uh, place on the Amalfi coast called, um, the path of the gods. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was so beautiful and it just sort of inspired me to write that piece. And I guess I really like that piece because it's very cinematic and, I guess earlier on in my career, when I was in high school, I thought that I was going to be a, a film music composer. So it's sort of a, I guess for me, that was a sort of a full circle thing where I was actually writing music that I thought sounded very cinematic and uh, was inspiring in that kind of way where the music can actually evoke a certain emotion or um, a certain visualization when you listen to it. Understood. And my favorite track on all of your albums is on Sunward Bound, and okay. that is the Brooklyn Express. Please tell me that was not based off the BQE, though. It was not based off the BQE. Okay. Uh, based off the BQE. It was based off the BD line. Well, more the D line, because I was living, at the time I was living in Brooklyn mm -hmm. um, when I wrote that piece. And uh, it was evoking that feeling of traveling between Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, because I had to do that so often just to go to work or to go to gigs. So it was trying to capture that energy of, of being on that train, much like, um, uh, like uh, Strayhorn and Ellington were inspired by the A train that for me, that was sort of a, an example of how I was being inspired by living in the city. Okay. Cause I was also going to say that it's too fast paced for the BQE, but right. I seriously <laughs> love that track. Thank you. And you did mention you want to do film, but you do have film stuff. And I was actually surprised when I realized that you were the assistant composer on Be Water, the 30 for 30. Oh, right. Yeah, because right. I watched that. And one of my friends is a huge Bruce Lee fan. Right. So how did you get that gig? Well, my, my good friend, Go Nakamura, who is a, a composer, a film composer and singer-songwriter, he asked me to... To help him, I didn't actually compose anything on that. I was basically just the the a hired keyboardist and pianist, but obviously giving some creative input with, in that regard. But um, yeah, he sort of got this gig writing the music for that film. So he asked me and uh, 
a violinist named Paul Date to collaborate with him and help make him bring his soundtrack to life. Um, with like, uh, instead of using purely virtual instruments on a sequencer, he wanted yeah. some humans to actually play, play his music to bring it to life, which I think makes a huge difference, obviously. Yes. In I, the you can tell music. in the movies use those. I don't really like them, but right. But are you have any more works like that in the future? Hopefully more film stuff. I hope to do that. I mean, um, <clears throat> because of the pandemic, I mean, we've had to find different ways to keep ourselves busy and to find other streams of income. And so I definitely hope that that's part of my future um, work and source of income. You're good also, at it. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. You said also, I'm sorry. Oh, just uh, that, uh, I mean, it's something that I really... Obviously, that was one of my first dreams growing up was to write music for film. So it would be it would be pretty amazing if that actually could come to fruition after after living my life as a professional jazz musician for so many years. Mm -hmm. And what is one of the main differences between those two? Well, obviously, um, being a jazz musician, you're you are basically composing on the spot. So as many people say improvisation is instantaneous composition. So in that regard, it's exciting and it's, uh, it's honest and it's, and it's, uh, how do you say it? it's instantaneous, um, to be a jazz musician and to create music right on the spot, having a live conversation with people. But when you are composing for film, you have more time to be, um, contemplative and, to, to actually think, really think about the intent of how the music is going to affect the image and to affect the emotions of the viewer. So it's a little bit different. Um, it's similar in that um, there is an intuitive approach that you can't necessarily use a formula in order to, to, create, to create it. Um, and uh, the spontaneity of being a jazz musician, I think, is advantageous in that regard, as as far as taking an approach to composing for film, um, because it has to have that spontaneous, honest feeling. But uh, the fact that you actually have time to craft the music in order to evoke a certain emotion is what's, I think, the most different. Okay. I don't really have much experience on film writing, so I have to take you for that. But mm -hmm. like I said, I wish this, you all the luck in that. I hopefully after this pandemic dies down, you get back into that. Yes, but, I hope so too. And since I brought that up, jumping over to that, how has the pandemic affected you personally? Well, obviously, um, let's see, what was the date? Can't, uh, it was I, in March. I, almost, I, 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 uh, I can almost remember the exact date of my last gig. I was actually in California. Oh playing uh, with a group um, out there led by a drummer, Akira Tana. And uh, so right at that moment, while we were doing our string of gigs that we had scheduled, the lockdown started to happen in California. I think California was the first place that locked down, actually. So midway through our tour, we basically decided we probably should not be playing in public because we can't put people at risk, particularly older folks, um, who are a lot of our fans. So at that point, uh, that was the last gig I did. 
and uh, then had to fly back to New York on a plane that was basically empty because no, everybody had basically stopped traveling. Everybody was wearing masks and they were using hand sanitizers. That was the very early beginning of, of um, when the pandemic was really affecting everybody. So then obviously when I got back to New York, everything was canceled. All the tours were canceled all the way through through middle of next year, things that had been scheduled, which is now this year, uh, had been canceled. And so since then, um, there has been no touring or traveling. Um, I guess I've been fortunate in that I've been, I've played with a few groups that have been able to do some streaming shows, either from somebody's house uh, with socially distanced using a, um, Zoom or Facebook or at a, uh, like a performing arts center that sort of has a more um, elaborate setup where they have multiple cameras with good mics and basically it almost looks like you're on television. So I've done a couple of those different things. And then um, a lot of at home recording, collaborating with people, um, basically doing overdub kind of projects where we're not playing together live because obviously there are limitations with playing live over, um, over the internet because of distance and the laws of physics, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, those are the things that kinds of things that I've been doing. Any projects get delayed? Oh, that's an interesting question because also I have to say during this, the, the pandemic, probably starting in July, mid July, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, my, the label that I'm on Positone um, decided Mark free uh, the producer uh, decided that he wanted to try and put out some records even during this time. So we actually did some socially distanced, small pod-like um, recording sessions with a group of musicians who uh, we we trusted that were not taking like uh, risks as far as uh, the virus was concerned. And we did a, a, several albums actually in the studio. Oh, okay. One of which is my record, which is hopefully coming out this coming spring. Looking forward towards that. Interesting. So they potted up the studio. Exactly. Um, it was a very interesting process because obviously Mark couldn't be here. He usually is in there in the studio with us, and he usually is conducting the rehearsal that we do before we go into the studio so he can have an idea of, of the music that he's producing. So um, instead, I brought my laptop and <clears throat> set it on top of the, the B3 facing the, the piano and this inside of the studio so people could see. And uh, he was basically there virtually sitting there on top of the Hammond while we were doing our sessions. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward towards that album. You don't have a date yet, right? No, it's going to be in the spring. But okay. uh, there's not an exact date yet. Understood, understood. Okay, so next thing I wish to ask you was, where do you think jazz will be in 10 years, especially with this whole thing going on? That's a good question. Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I can't really tell you the answer because everything has been so unpredictable this past year. Um, I know that... Uh, Probably gigs will start happening again in the fall. Maybe some touring will start happening in the fall. Already there's there's some scheduling occurring, but who knows if it's actually going to be possible. Uh, 
You think because there's like, going to be another year? Like, it could be. I mean, because obviously the vaccine is not being distributed uh, at the same pace at different parts of the world. So, because of that, it, there are definitely going to be limitations as to how logistically uh, venues and festivals, etc., are going to be able to ramp back up if people are coming from all over the world and there are different standards as far as like uh, vaccinations and uh, and different still different levels of how the pandemic is affecting every country. So I think it's going to be a while before people feel safe enough to actually get back to normal. And so at least probably at least until the fall, there's not going to be any significant touring as far as I as far as I can tell. So obviously that really affects jazz musicians because we make our living and we create our art on stages with people uh, so, people. And there's interaction between not just the musicians, but the audience is a crucial part of the music that we create because they're the ones who are feeding us the energy and re responding to music that's being created in the moment. So until the live, until live music um, is happening again, where we can actually get together and be with our audience members physically, I can't see that the music will be the same. So I really can't tell you when that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. Also, because as we were speaking earlier, all of these venues are finding it difficult to stay open, obviously, because they have, they have no audience and no income stream. And while this pandemic is happening, they're basically shut down. Uh, I know a lot of venues are trying to make up for that by doing live streaming, but it's just not the same. That I agree with you on. Okay. So how do you think this will affect everyone long-term, like the new artists trying to come up? That's a good question. Um, because I know that a lot of people have left New York City. A lot of musicians have left New York City. People who've been here a long time have moved back to their hometowns or to, to their parents' houses or whatever or back to their native countries if they're coming from international places and living in New York City. So I really can't tell you how that's going to affect the music scene long term because um, obviously New York City is, is sort of the, the heart of the jazz capital of the world. Um, and because it's sort of been dispersed by the pandemic, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that comes back. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot of musicians who still live in New York, but uh, I think quite a few have left. Um, and I and so and also in other big cities, the same same kind of uh, phenomenon has been occurring, where people have moved back home or whatever because they they're, they're they there's no longer the need for them to be in these major capitals of jazz. So I can't tell you. How that's going to change. Um, I hope that people come back and probably they will because New York City is more than just a physical place. It's also an idea. So I think the idea of New York City is, is a big part of how jazz has thrived and will continue to thrive. Okay. I mean, I hope so also. I do not want these places to close down. I do not want the youth to be discouraged by anything. But one other thing I got to ask you on that whole thing before, actually, that just came to my mind. Mm -hmm. 
doesn't your album sales tank even more because of this? You would think so, but what has very been what has been very strange for me is that my my music has been suddenly listened to a lot more on on platforms like Spotify, uh, whereas I used to have maybe ten thousand listeners a month. Um, all of a sudden, during the pandemic, it's shot up to like over four hundred thousand listens a month. So Whoa. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know how that happened or why that happened, but it could be. It also what, could be thousand percent increase. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it could be because um, I think people need some kind of uh, comfort and solace because they're stuck at home or because they're working from home or because they can't go out to hear live music. So I think a lot of more people are listening to music. So i I would have to say that my during this pandemic, my audience, global audience has grown immensely um, for reasons that I can't explain, which but I can only surmise that it's because of uh, because people really want to hear music. So your next tour is going to be monster. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, you're going to be real international. Yes, sir. <laughs> that would be amazing. but but regardless of that, I'm the thing I am happy about is that there is a wider audience listening to, to the music. So I am grateful for that. Okay. I mean, that, like you said, is a positive about everything. Yeah. Okay. So where else are you known besides America? Where else? I don't know. Let's see. I was reading my Spotify report, and I guess London was the second close, the second highest number of listens. So... And then it's spread out all over the world in in Japan and Europe and South America. So I can't really say that I have a, I, don't, I really don't know like where I'm most well known, but I guess uh, the audience is spread all over the world, which is pretty cool. And which I guess is a result of technology. Um, while I do mourn the fact that physical media is, has is sort of dying. Um, I guess I also see the flip side in that um, I can reach a wider audience without physical media. So, True. okay. So, are you doing any other projects or other hobbies that I don't know about, like charity works or anything? Uh, I haven't. Well, as we've been locked down, I've been mostly stuck in the house. Um, um, I, I guess one thing that I do, another hobby that I do is yoga, and that's sort of to keep my mind uh, calm, especially in times and situations like this. So that's been mainly what I've been doing. And then obviously having we have to cook for ourselves since uh, we're at home all the time. So I've been doing a lot of cooking also. Okay. So if you could have an album and you could remove all the barriers all the constraints, what type of project would it be and who would be on it? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess, uh, I guess all the people that I've been working with, I really love working with them. So I would want to do another record with them. And, uh, I guess the barrier and constraints of not being able to be physically together while we're playing or worrying about, um, the density of people within the studio or worrying about having to be masked up 
to prevent any spread of virus. If all of those limitations were were taken away, I'd be completely happy again. Okay, I could, I could relate to that answer a lot. <laughs> so, what is the best compliment you have ever been given? Hmm. I would say, um, I guess the best compliment is when somebody comes up to me after a concert or somebody writes to me and says, uh, I really felt moved by your music or I, I felt, uh, I felt something when listening to your music or, or your music inspired me in a certain way. Uh, for me, that's the best compliment. Um, because I, the reason why I do music is, I guess it's selfish in that I, I really enjoy the process of creating, but for me, music is the the true meaning of music is to con connect with people. And so if my music can connect with people in that way, then I'm truly honored and lucky. Okay. And is there any other jazz artists you wish to give a shout out to or talk about? Well, I guess I would say one of my heroes is Kenny Barron and he has always been one of my heroes um, since I first started playing jazz piano. So I guess I want to just thank him for inspiring me. Obviously, there's so many other great musicians that have inspired me. Um, but uh, Kenny has been sort of a mentor-like figure, even though I don't really know him personally. I've met him a few times, but uh, his elegance and his artistry have really inspired me. So um, I thank him for that, and I continue to thank him for that. Okay. Well, sir, before you go, we normally like to give a shout out and show our respects to the artists who came before us. So I'm going to tell you an instrument. And in your case, yeah, I'll just tell you an instrument and you tell me who stands out the most or who's your favorite. Okay. Okay. So on trumpet. Okay. Uh, well, there's a record called um, Four and More. Um, which is uh, Miles Davis, and that that was really a, a monumental record for me. So I would say Miles Davis in that regard. Um, it's a live record, and <clears throat> there's this one moment uh, where Miles is playing the melody or taking a solo, and somebody in the audience, you can hear, you can hear, even though it, it's a live recording, you could hear far far from the back of the whole of the whole theater, you hear somebody just scream. Yeah, after after Miles plays a super beautiful note, and and for me that just really captures the power of jazz, and the power of music, and and what inspires me about the music, and um, so Miles Davis. Okay, on saxophone. Let's see. I'll have to say um, Bramford Marcellus because he really? was the yeah because he it was his record. I came to jazz late and sort of late in life in that I started listening to jazz in college. I didn't really listen to jazz before then. And the first record that I bought was a record by Branford Marsalis called Crazy People Music, which had uh, Jeff Tane Watts, Bob Hurst, and Kenny Kirkland. And uh, when I heard those guys playing together, I said, wow, these guys are talking to each other through their instruments. And I want to do that. And, and Branford's playing and his compositions on that record really inspired me. So he sort of op opened the door for me to get into jazz. So I'll say Bramford Marcellus for saxophone. Okay. That's 
I was not guessing that one. Okay. <laughs> On base. Base. Um, I would have to say Ray Brown. His big sound, his feel, his generosity all come through in his playing. Not, no one's going to argue that one. Okay, so. Uh, on drums. That's, uh, let's see. Well, I'm going to have to go with Elvin Jones because um, when I hear him play, I hear the elements and I hear the, I hear the ground, I hear the earth, I hear the ocean. I, and for me, his sound is like nature, force of nature. And I think music is a reflection of, of what's around us and his ability to channel that force and that power is um, super inspiring. Okay. And finally, on keys, piano. Well, I did give a shout out to Kenny Barron, mm -hmm. but uh, I would have to say, um, going back to that first jazz record that I bought um, by Branford Marcellus, Kenny Kenny Kirkland was the another Kenny, I guess, was the the pianist on that record, and I guess that first impression that I got from listening to that record, even going back to it now. I realized that that it was a uh, that his piano playing is is of the of the highest level because it's still to me to this day would if I listen to that record I still am inspired and, and awestruck. So I would say Kenny Kirkland. All right. Well, sir, could you please tell everyone your social media, your website, everything where to find you? Yes, uh, if you just look up my name Art Hirahara, A R T H I R A H A R A you'll find my website, which is arthirahara.com, and then arthirahara is uh, the name that you'll find if you look on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. So it's pretty simple. It's just my name. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, sir. It means a lot. Sorry it took so long to get you finally on. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me, Leander. Okay. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you, and have a good night. Thank you. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>